Parents, welcome to another episode of The Journey, a podcast intended to educate, equip, and entertain you as we talk about important issues facing our families. PCA is a Christ-centered, biblically-based, and family-focused community of committed believers doing life together. We hope the information you hear on this podcast informs and inspires you to be a better parent. Welcome to The Journey. All right, parents, welcome back to The Journey. This is Dan Panetti. I've got a good friend, Michael Craven. Michael, welcome. Dan, good to be with you. Hey, I didn't, I didn't get your um, the, the official title. It's, 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 it's big and long and, and very prestigious. Oh, well, it is. It's so prestigious. It's overwhelming. <laughs> it's... Uh, I am the Vice President for Equipping and Mobilization at the Colson Center for Christian Worldview. See, I told you. Um, I, I oversee primarily the Colson Fellows Program. Which is fantastic. Which is fantastic, and God is doing great and mighty things through it, and uh, we're just trying not to mess it up. Now, for those who don't know the name Chuck Colson, can we just have a brief kind of, you know, the, the Colson Center, uh, the work that you're doing with, with uh, Christian worldview, if you don't really kind of yeah. know where that came from, kind so, of tell our parents a so little Chuck, bit about that. So um, Chuck, many people remember Chuck as being in Nixon's administration. He was Nixon's attorney, mm-hmm. the White House attorney, and uh, was caught up in the uh, Watergate, Watergate crimes, yep. ended up going to prison as yes. a result. Prior to enter- entering prison, he came to faith in Christ, and uh, Chuck, by his own definition, was a ruthless political operative that most people in Washington, D.C. were terrified of. Yes. Um, he was referred to as Nixon's hatchet man, but he experienced a radical conversion mm. and just became um, a man who was totally devoted to God. His heart became God's heart. Mm. And uh, while he was in prison, he just really developed a passion for other prisoners to minister to them. And he started Prison Fellowship, which was and remains to this day the largest prison ministry in the world. And while working in prisons, he realized that most of the men that he was working with were there because they had made decisions consistent with the way they were trained um, either by their culture, by their parents, their families, to think about the world. In other words, their worldview. Right. So the concept is, right, this is a, a generation of young people who grew up um, believing that they were descending from uh, apes, right, through evolution. They had no purpose, no meaning. There's nothing special about them. Right. Um, you know, life is a sea of nothingness, right? And so they acted like it. Yeah. <laughs> they, they went yeah. out and, and made decisions um, to promote their own, you know, selfish ends and desires. And yeah. they ran into the law and the law said, you can't do that. And, and you had a bunch of people sitting there going, I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> this this yeah. is what, right, right, this is what I learned in school. What, what in the world is wrong? And so as, as Chuck Colson looked at these people and he's just like, oh, my goodness, it, it's like, it must be very frustrating to buy into the world system and then have the world system, right, lock you up. Yeah. But there's a different way of seeing the world. And there's a there's a different concept of how um, the world works, yeah. right? There's a creator and we are creation. Um, and there's, right, there's a, a whole, you know, story of what's going on. Well, and many of the men that he met grew up in Christian homes. Mm. And yet they were deprived of this larger understanding of, of how God has fashioned the world and how he wants to, us to live in right relationship to his world. Um, they, they, were, they were totally unaware mm. of, of this way of thinking. They just sort of had this, this, this privatized belief. I believe in God, 
And because I believe in God, when I die, I get to go to heaven. Right. That was the summation of their Christian faith. Um, it didn't influence any of their, their earthly decisions. It didn't influence the way they looked at, at themselves, at others, or with respect to their responsibilities to creation. Yeah. Um, and, and some of that can even be true for a lot of Christians that we know today. Yeah. Uh, when I talk to students about, and I'll just give an example, right? Um, where do you want to go to college? And students will say, well, I'm, I'm looking at the university of so-and-so and such-and-such and this and that and everything. And I was like, well, why do you want to go? And they talk about, well, you know, this is the kind of career I want to have and the job. And, and in the midst of that, yeah. there's never a concept of where does God want me to go? What does God want me to do? How has God equipped me? What, right? What's the work that God has for me? It, it, it seems like, right, it's a very – if I talk to them specifically about their faith – Right, they shift over and they can talk about their faith. But if we talk about right. the world, college, jobs, careers, right, faith doesn't seem to be a part of that conversation. Well, if if you were to ask me what do I think the problem that the Colson Fellows program solves, I would say it's the privatization of Christian faith. Mm. And it's the privatization of Christian faith that has led to the destruction of our culture. Yeah. It is not a consequence of a secular overthrow or occupation. It is the direct consequence of the Christian evacuation. Yeah. We have abandoned all of the spheres of culture beginning in the 19th century, and we've left a void that powers and principalities were all too happy to fill. Sure. And they reshaped the world in the process, away from how God intends the world to function and how we are, in, are called upon to live in right relationship to him and to his world. And instead, it's being shaped by those powers and principalities that come to kill, steal, and destroy. Yeah. So as parents raising young people, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that we want to help our young people do is see the world through that lens of Scripture, this larger story that's going on. Yeah. How does the Colson Center kind of help parents do that? Well, that's that's probably the thing I hear more often than not is not, um, hey, this was a great program. I learned a lot. Uh, they will use words like transformational. Mm. This is, I've been walking with the Lord for 40 years, and yet I have never understood this larger story. Mm. And I summarize it like this. In America, we use this phrase, I invited Jesus into my life. Mm-hmm. Now, I understand the sentiment of that statement, sure. that our relationship is deeply, profoundly personal. However, it was never intended to remain private. Right. The truth of the matter is we do not invite Jesus into our lives. He is inviting us into his, into his life, his story in which he is making all things new. And that story is encapsulated in the story of the kingdom. Mm. And this is what happens at the ascension is all authority in heaven on earth is granted to King Jesus. And he sits at the right hand of the Father where he rules and reigns today. And he has been for 2,000 years. And the evidence of that is staggering. Hmm. If you have any sense of history, you have to look. I mean, Tom Holland in his book, Dominion, Tom Holland is not a believer. And yet Tom Holland is a historian. He goes, I cannot explain, I cannot adequately explain why the world began to get better yep. 2,000 years ago. And, and, and everywhere that Christians went... It got better. It got better. It got better. There, there became yeah. – and, and, and it's interesting, though, because what does better mean? And, and better means more freedom, more opportunity, um, more sexual ethic, um, greater rights human for flourishing. minorities. Human flourishing. Yeah. Right? And humans flourish yes. when they live in obedience to God's design. Yes. Even the non-Christian 
flourishes yeah. when they live yeah. in obedience to God's design. True. Um, the whole society benefits yeah. when they live in obedience to God's design. They experience shalom. Yes. But more importantly, this is what has, in the early church, really gave this foundational demonstration of the gospel that gave credence and credibility to their proclamations right. of the gospel. If you say you're a Christ follower, yeah. then these are the things that we should see as evidence. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, the, and the church went through and they did those things. Yeah. yeah. Right? You should be taking care of the poor. But then yeah. we do. Right? Well, <laughs> okay. We have, this, we have this great letter from Julian the Apostate, the, the, the last pagan emperor of Rome in the fourth century, who's trying to take Rome back to its pagan roots. And mm-hmm. you're familiar with this mm-hmm. letter. He writes this letter to his priest and he's irritated. Yes. Because these Christians are winning. Yes. In his mind. They keep getting in the way. They keep getting in the way. And he writes <laughs> this letter and he says, these Christians, he's, and all of his, his words are just dripping with contempt. But he says, these Christians, or Galileans as he called them, they, they, they attract children like with cakes, mm. with their agape. Yeah. And I love this line. He says, and they cause contempt for our gods. That's right. Can you imagine if the church lived in such a way that we caused contempt for the multitude of false gods that people follow in our world today? Wouldn't that be beautiful? That would. The world would change, and Christ would be glorified. Speaking of the world changing, Mm -hmm. you have four questions at the Colson Center Mm -hmm. that you um, use as part of your training, um, and they help people kind of um, ask and answer Part of that, what's my role in this particular larger story? What are those four questions? Yeah, I would call these uh, love my neighbor questions. Love my neighbor questions. You know, when we wake up every day, we could ask these questions. Looking toward (laughs) our neighbors and saying, um, you know, what is is good in this world that I can preserve, protect, and promote? That would be the first question. Second might be, what is missing in my neighbor's life? Yeah. Let's let's localize this. What's missing in my neighbor's life that I could provide? Mm. Uh, that I could that I could perhaps innovate. What's missing in this world that I could innovate and provide? What's evil in my neighbor's life that I must, by conscience, stand against mm. in obedience to Christ? Yeah. And finally, what is broken that the Lord might use me to repair and restore? Um, and I think those are four really helpful questions as we as we live out an earthy faith yeah. in this world, the very world that Jesus is deeply and profoundly concerned about. It's why he went around healing people, because yeah. he was deeply and profoundly concerned about the suffering that resulted from sin in the fall, yeah. and he was making it right. He was bearing witness to what life looks like under the kingdom when all of these things are nullified in Christ one day. There is no more sorrow, no more tears, no more suffering, no more sin, no more death. That's what Jesus is doing in his kingdom. And that's the future to which all of human history is being propelled yeah. by the king. I think of John 21 <clears throat> when uh, um, Jesus curses the fig tree that produces no fruit. Mm. And, and I think that, that idea of, um, you know, for the Christian who doesn't have the fruit of the Spirit, who doesn't walk in the Spirit, who doesn't produce the things that God desires, um, what, a, what a waste yeah. of a life. Uh, and that, you know, the fig tree, right, that produces figs is for you to eat them, right? Because, you know, people are hungry. Yeah. And so there's a fig tree, you eat a fig. But a fig tree without figs is completely worthless. It's useless. It's useless. And so I, I think that concept um, is that, you know, there's a, there's a lot of Christians who go through um, their life 
not really producing any figs, not really nurturing those around them, not doing anything that other people, um, their lives are bettered by. Uh, and it's just, it's a, it's a sad, it's a disappointment. They may have gone to a great college. Uh, they may have a great job. Uh, they might have a, a really nice house, uh, but they don't have any figs and, and people are hungry around them and they don't even yeah. realize it. Well, and it's, and it's, it's not just sad. It may be sin. <laughs> yeah. You may have to give account for yeah. it one day Yeah, um, to your heavenly father who asked you, I gave you so much. Yeah. I placed you in a time. In culture, we had so many resources and so many opportunities. What did you do with those things? Now, one of the things that I love about the Colson Center and what you guys do with the Colson Fellows is that you're not just dealing with uh, Christians in America. You're dealing with Christians all over the world. And so you have a very unique perspective. You just recently had a commissioning of um, the largest group of you know Colson Fellows that you've ever had. Almost 1,300. But one of the unique perspectives is that you see mm. that sometimes uh, here in America, we get a little bit uh, numb to the forces yeah. that are pushing back, the darkness that is out there, the evil that exists, yeah. the opportunity to do good, and, and really the, the limited time that we have in doing it. But you recently had a um, an email from a person in Canada yeah. that kind of kind of woke you up to well, that I, as I well. Well, I think it's I think it's really difficult if you if you live in the buckle of the Bible belt. Yeah. Um where we think things are pretty good and there's a chance they're going to get better. Right. But even in our own country, you can go to the more secularized parts of the country. It's very very difficult different and it's difficult to be a Christian yeah. already. Yeah. But uh to your point, we we just uh, entered into a partnership with uh, one of the largest churches in Canada. Mm. And um the the pastor of that church is wanting to send more people than usual through the program okay. at at pretty significant expense to him and his church, and um, and you wondered why, and we wondered why <laughs> that, it, it yeah. seemed unusual. I, yeah. Again, largest one of the largest churches in, and I'm not going to tell you the name of the church because it's it's dangerous for him. Um, and we wondered why, and he sent back this this note, and he says, "Frankly, we are running out of time." Mm. I hate to sound like an alarmist, but in Canada, we seem to be ahead in our moral and legal decline regarding Christianity and even basic understandings of right and wrong. Mm. It is now common to accept, for example, disagreement with LGBTQ or woke ideologies as a physical act of violence. Right. The LGBTQ community is currently working to ban all literature, including the Bible, that promotes violence to their community. So what does this mean, he says? Well, they define that as anyone who disagrees with them. Disagreement is tantamount to violence. Mm. This is unprecedented in our country. The Calgary mayor just made a law that criminalized protests against LGBTQ, stating that they were, quote-unquote, unpeaceful. Why? Because parents disagreed with drag queens indoctrinating their children. That's right. Two years ago, a father from British Columbia was given a five-year prison sentence, a five-year prison sentence for refusing to use his daughter's preferred pronouns, his own daughter's mm. preferred pronouns. He goes on to say, I can honestly say that our days of being able to practice our faith while maintaining historical orthodox beliefs are numbered. Yep. In talking to our lawyers, they too agree. Banning Bibles, removing charitable status from churches— Fines and even jail time are all on the horizon for Christians in this country. We feel the urgency to prepare as many key leaders as possible so that we can both unify as a church body, be confident in our beliefs, but also have the truth which, which, 
to go and disciple our lost nation. That's what's coming here. Yep. And it is coming like a juggernaut. It is sweeping across the Western world, and it has been for decades. So when when we do previews and parents come and kick the tires of PCA, mm-hmm. and one of the things that they you know ask about is um, you know is this uh, going to prepare my student for college? Right? What are the SAT scores? Etc. I mean, all the different things. And I, I look at the parents and I say, you know, quite frankly, um, those aren't the questions you need to be asking. That that's the information you need to be asking yeah. is, are you going to prepare my student to be able to stand against the winds of this culture that are blowing stronger than ever, yeah. right? The tidal wave that's coming. Yeah. Are you going to prepare them to stand on truth regardless of the cost that it's going to be for them? And and that's the reality that I think that you, you're right. You're right. Is, is we don't, we don't see it a lot down here in Dallas, <laughs> But there's other places that we see it, and I know that we feel like we're protected. But I'm telling you, I've heard story after story after story of so many things happening here in the United States as well, where we do have the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and all those protections. And there's ways that government is is getting around those things, and there are changes on the horizon that aren't, you know, 30 years off anymore, right, that are maybe three years off or months off. And, and the reality is, is that this is what we're supposed to be doing as a Christian school and what we're supposed to be doing as Christian parents, right, is, uh, is training our students to know the Word of God, to be able to stand on the truth of the gospel, and to take that out into the world and make a difference, to, to be the salt and the light that the world so desperately needs. Yeah. Well, we think that there are three institutions that are critical to the future of the church in America or the future of the faith in America mm-hmm. and the future of our nation generally, and that is the family, yes. K-12 through Christian education, yep. and the church. Yep. These are the three institutions with, with whom have been entrusted God's purpose. And the battle, from the world's perspective— is going to be against all three of those. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, <laughs> it, it is. And it's only going to get hotter and hotter and hotter Yeah, and, and more intense. Yeah. So um, I'm thankful for the work that you're doing. Um, I, I'm going to put in our show notes uh, for parents because parents can and can go through your Colson's program. There's nothing. It's for ha- adults. You, right. You don't have to yeah. be in any particular profession. You don't have nope. to have any particular education. Nope. Right. You're just talking about, right, your you know, average mom and dad. I don't care who you are. If it's you it's wanna, a commitment. If it is. It's a rigorous program. Okay. Um, but, but, it's, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Yeah, it's worth it. And there really, I'll say this, there really isn't anything else like it. No. Right. There isn't, you know, plan B or, you know, plan C or plan D. Right. There isn't like, oh, well, if I can't yeah. do the Colson Fellows program, I'll try something else. Because really, you're the intensive worldview training, right, um, program that's out there, right, for adults. Yeah, we kind of call it the Navy SEAL training for Christians. Navy SEAL training for Christians. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, so much of this is actually happening in the walls of PCA, but we definitely need it to happen in the walls of the home. Yeah. Because whatever we do here, if it's not reinforced in the home and reinforced in the church, that's why we talk about kingdom education, right, is the home, the church, yep. and the school together. Um, but we can't, we can't just have it happen in the school walls if it's not happening around your dinner table and then not reinforced by the church that you're going to and plugged in. Right, and then we're, and we're talking about you know not going to church once a month. Yeah. <laughs> we're talking about a commitment to being around a group of believers who are opening up the Word of God and doing life together. Deuteronomy six, right? 
when you rise, when you sit, when you walk, when you eat. There you go. It's every minute it's of every, every day. every minute of every day. Every minute of every day that you have available, pouring into the lives of your children, forming their thinking, yes. forming their conceptions of reality. Yeah. yeah I, I love the word. It says impress upon them, right? right? And the word is literally to stain them. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Make it so hard to get out, that, <laughs> right, that, that it's literally just part of who they are. Yeah. And they don't know any different because when they see the world, they always see it through the lens of the Bible because they have so much Bible that's put into them. Yeah, absolutely. So true. So true. Well, Michael, thank you for your time. Thanks for the ministry and the work that you're doing. I love it. Keep up the good work. Uh, and I just uh, I pray for the Colson uh, fellows, right, that next year will even be larger than this year. Amen. Awesome. Dan, thank you, brother. Appreciate always a pleasure. Thank you for investing the time to listen to this episode of The Journey. Please take a minute to share with friends and family who will also benefit from this valuable resource. And don't forget to rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast app. It is truly our blessing and honor to walk with you on The Journey.